The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. Our reading this morning is from Luke 19, verses 28 through 44. And when Jesus had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany, at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where, you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? You shall say this, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it, just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He said, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known the day, the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. The word of the Lord. My aim this Palm Sunday morning, this beginning of Holy Week, is that you might love Jesus more, that your hearts would be more inclined to treasure Jesus more from this Sunday as we remember the events of the Lord's last week of his earthly ministry as we move from Sunday to Monday, Thursday, the Passover beginning with sundown on Thursday. And as you know, that is the night in which Jesus was betrayed. He ate the Passover meal with his disciples and and change that Passover meal from a commemoration of the Lord's redemption of the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt into a, a commemoration of the new covenant by which Jesus, the Lamb who was slain, saves all of his people from our sins. And Friday, 
will remember his sufferings and crucifixion and death. And then we'll gather again on Sunday and uh, we will say, the Lord is risen. And you will reply, the Lord is risen indeed. And we will celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus as we remember the first Easter. So my hope and prayer is that you would draw near to God this week. And he will draw near to you. So I just don't want it to be wasted. You know, just another week, another Easter, another... No, 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 no. I mean, these are occasions to remember, you know, remember, so important in the Christian life, to remember the Lord Jesus and his life and ministry, his words and his sufferings for us, to draw us in. Make us strong in grace and full of love for him and treasure him above all else. So that's my, my burden and my aim. And let me, let me pray. And I will pray. I can't get away from the, the prophecy in Zechariah 9.9 of Palm Sunday. I just mentioned it in the middle of this sermon somewhere, but it's, it's, it's in my head that the prophecy says, say to the daughter of Zion, speak to God's people. Say what? Behold, your king is coming. I just want to pray, Lord, help us behold. Help us see. So Father in heaven, help us see. Help us see Jesus. May he stand forth from this text and stand forth with with power and grace and love and hope and be our joy and our peace and our satisfaction. So, glorify your name, Father, in and through your beloved Son, Jesus the Christ our Messiah, our King. In Jesus' name and for his glory and our joy, I pray. Amen. My outline is three points, and I'll give them to you, and then I'll draw them out a little bit. Number one, the Messiah's time. Number two, the Messiah's procession. And number three, the Messiah's tears. And just to put a little more meat on those bones, uh, number one, the Messiah's time. I just want you to see and worship Jesus for his sovereignty over his own death. Number two, the Messiah's procession. See and exalt Jesus for the reality of his reign, even if whether people see it or not, Jesus is king. And number three, the Messiah's tears. To see, behold, see his divine mercy and sorrow at the blindness of Jerusalem as he foretells the coming judgment on the city. So number one, Messiah's time. You know, early in 
Jesus' earthly ministry, and throughout it, most of it, he over and over again told people not to tell anyone who he was or what he was doing, especially his miracles. For instance, we've seen this in our series on Luke. You know, the demons speak of him, and he says, be silent. It's in Luke 4. And then he heals the leper, and he charges the leper, don't tell anyone about this. That's in Luke 5. And uh, then in Luke 8, the ruler of the synagogue's daughter is healed. And Jesus says to her parents, tell no one what has happened. Luke 8, 56. And then in Luke 9, Peter is given grace to see Jesus for who he is. And, and Peter says, you are the Christ of God. And Jesus says, Luke 9, 21, and Jesus strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed on the third day, be raised. So this triumphal entry is a shift. This is different. <laughs> Quite the opposite of telling people to be quiet. Jesus makes preparation to enter Jerusalem publicly and gathers a big crowd on the way, thousands of people likely. This is no quiet entry. And they will shout his praises. So he prepares. He knows full well. This is one of the things that landed on me so clearly. He knows full well. This is his sovereignty and his foreknowledge. His time has come. His time had not yet come with the, with the demon, with the demons. He, his time had not yet come with the leper. His time had not yet come with the healing of the daughter of the ruler of the synagogue, Jairus. His time had not yet come with the confession of Peter. But his time has come now. And he arranges, he plans to enter Jerusalem intentionally now in order to be killed on the Passover day. He knows what he's doing. Nobody takes his life from him. He lays it down of his own accord according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. So, upon Jesus' arrival in Jerusalem, the Gospel of John tells us what he says to his disciples. This is John 12, 23. Jesus will say upon arrival in Jerusalem, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much 
fruit. Jesus knows. He knows that his time is at hand and he sets in motion the reason for which he came, namely, to die for us. Do you see? It's like the Messiah's procession. So knowing that his time was at hand, he sent two of his disciples ahead to the village of Bethpage with these instructions. Go to the village. You'll find a colt there, a colt of a donkey, one that's never been ridden. Bring it to me. And if anybody asks, why are you taking that colt? Tell them the Lord has need of it. And the disciples do exactly as Jesus says. They, it goes just as he said. They're asked. They answer. And uh, they bring the colt to Jesus. The disciples put their garments on the, on the donkey, the, the, this colt, kind of like a saddle, and Jesus sits on it. John, in his gospel, tells us this. This is John twelve sixteen. He says, look, we didn't understand what was going on, the disciples. We didn't know. We did not know. I'll read it. But this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, this is Zechariah 9, 9, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Excuse me, that was Matthew 21, 4. So you think about this. Jesus' procession, the Messiah's procession, public declaration. Jesus is Messiah King, long promised by the prophets. He comes in on a borrowed donkey. I got to thinking, you know, America's not very attuned to royalty and kings and you know we have our own we actually rebelled against that kind of thing to start our country but so I just went I thought my mind went to the different kingly events right so here's here's what popped into my head and you maybe know where I'm going contrast Jesus's procession into Jerusalem with the procession that's planned for the upcoming coronation of King Charles Philip Arthur George III, King of the United Kingdom. The coronation is scheduled for May 6th, even though King Charles actually acceded to the throne on September 8th of last year when his mother died. I feel parallels in that. Jesus isn't coming into Jerusalem to become king. He is king. On the day of King Charles' coronation, the plan is that the king and the queen consort will ride through London in a procession riding to Westminster Abbey, get this, in the gold state coach, which was built in 1762. That ain't no donkey. There he'll be crowned with St. Edward's crown, which was first used in the coronation of Henry III of England in 1220. 
The Archbishop of Canterbury will preside over the coronation oath, the anointing, the delivery of regalia, and the enthronement of the new king. And there will be music. There's a page of music I read about. New music and old music and choirs and orchestras and organ. I even came across this on the news this morning on the way here. (laughs) There even will be a new James Bond novel. Released two days before the coronation, <laughs> entitled On His Majesty's Secret Service to celebrate the coronation of King Charles. But Jesus his, his coronation is very different than that. It's very different than that. Let me read the great preacher Charles Spurgeon from his sermon preached in London in 1861. I'll I'll go to the old stuff. King in on Christ's humility. Here's what Spurgeon says. Here comes the king of kings, the prince of the kings of the earth. There's no, there's no spotted steed, no prancing horse, which would keep at a distance the sons of poverty. He rides upon his donkey, and as he rides along, he speaks kindly to the little children who are crying, Hosanna! And he wishes well to the mothers and fathers of the lowest grade who crowd around him. He is approachable. He is not divided from them. He claims not to be their superior, but their servant and the servant of all. No trumpet sounds. He is content with the voice of men and women, no ornamented saddle, but his own disciples' garments, no pomp, but the pomp which loving hearts right willingly yielded to him. Thus on he rides, his the kingdom of meekness, the kingdom of humiliation, and I might add, the kingdom of suffering and then glory. Spurgeon Spurgeon adds this about about us. If Jesus is our king, if he is our Messiah, Spurgeon adds this. Brothers and sisters, may we belong to that kingdom too. May we feel in our hearts that Christ has come in us to cast down every high and every proud thought that every valley may be lifted up and every hill may be abased, brought down, and the whole land exalted in that day. Spurgeon. I... I find the most helpful Old Testament precursor to the triumphal entry to be 
the coronation of King Solomon in 1 Kings 1. You could turn there if you want to. Uh, 1 Kings 1. And the situation is it, it's the end of King's, King David's long reign and he's approaching his death. Seizing the opportunity for self-exaltation, Adonijah, Adonijah, another of David's sons, sought to usurp the throne. Figuring my dad's old, he's not even going to notice maybe. He says to himself, I will be king, 1 Kings 1.5. And in a private ceremony, kind of private, he invited a lot of people except for the people that would care that he was doing this illegally like his dad. And Nathan the prophet and his mom were excluded. So he, he, he conducted this private ceremony without David's knowledge and, and Adonijah, Adonijah had himself anointed and crowned as king of Israel with the support of the military general Joab. It's a, it's a wicked power grab and it was a sham. And when it came to light, Bathsheba brought it to King David, as well as Nathan the prophet. King David arranged to have Solomon publicly displayed as the rightful king, the heir of the throne. 1 Kings 1, 33. David is saying, Have Solomon, my son, ride on my own mule and bring him down to Gihon. And there at the freshwater springs of Gihon on the east side of Jerusalem, King David commanded, let Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet there anoint him king over Israel and then blow the trumpet and say, long live King Solomon. And there the anointed Solomon king And verse 39 says, Then they blew the trumpet, and all the people said, Long live King Solomon. And all the people went up after him, playing on pipes and rejoicing with great joy, so that the earth was split by their noise. And Adonijah's illegitimate efforts to take the throne of David for himself were exposed. The effort collapsed. The coup collapsed. His his supporters deserted him. And David's chosen rightful heir, Solomon, took the throne. So back in, in Luke 19, something like that is happening. That's a pointer to this. Jesus is publicly riding into Jerusalem on a young donkey as the chosen rightful heir to the throne of David, the divine son of God and the son of David, the Messiah, the promised Christ. And he comes in peace. Not a war horse, but a donkey. And the people shout, 
John 12 says they're shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. Hosanna, the Lord saves. Our text, Luke 19, verse 37, says, As he was drawing near already on the way down to the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. And they were saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And what they're saying is true. The King is coming. This public demonstration is is beautiful and right. But the Pharisees hated it. They hated this multitude, this unrestrained praise, this exaltation of Jesus. And so they say to Jesus, "Tell tell your people, tell this crowd to be quiet. Tell them to shut up. And Jesus says, verse 40, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. In other words, Jesus is king. He will be praised by the people. And even if the people are silent or reject him like the religious leaders, he will be praised. even by the rocks and the trees and all of nature. He is the king. He is the Messiah. And nothing can stop his praises. Not even his death. Point number three. The Messiah's tears. You know, on on the surface... This looks so good and so right. And it is on the one hand. Jesus being publicly acknowledged as the Messiah. Son of God, son of David come to reign. And yet, as I said, the religious leaders have rejected him. And they see the crowds and they fear the people. These people are going after him. And that makes it all the more urgent. Jesus knows this. They must stop him. That's what they're thinking. Luke 22, 2. The chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to put him to death. And the crowds, you know, the, the crowds... You, you know this. The crowds on Palm Sunday are so over the top with praise and honor for Jesus. And Why were they so fickle? What, 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 what turned them? So that, I mean, I presume there's an overlap between the Palm Sunday crowds praising Jesus and the crowds shouting crucify him on Friday. I mean, Pilate's even looking for an excuse to let him go. And they say, no, give us Barabbas. Crucify him. Crucify him. What changed? You know, it seems like what changed is their vision 
of the Messiah, the King. He was to come in, in splendor and rule and throw out the Romans and be honored and high and exalted. And Jesus came. And by Friday, he was mocked and naked and spit upon and flogged. We don't want a king like that. They didn't have eyes to see that the Messiah's path to glory was through suffering and death and then exaltation as the prophets foretold. So now as Jesus moves closer to the city, they arrive at a point on the road where the road rises high enough to get a glimpse of the city. It's like there's a dip and they come up over and there's the city. There's the skyline, Jerusalem. Verse 41, and when Jesus drew near, he saw the city and he wept over it. The word translated wept, it's a strong word. It's, it's, a, it's a word for weeping that seems stronger than the weeping of Jesus at the death of Lazarus. It's a kind of intense crying, loud, wailing, sobbing, heaving. It, it's the word used to describe Remember this account? The woman of the city whom Jesus forgave. She's weeping as she's washing Jesus' feet with her tears in her hair. She's weep. This is that kind of weeping. Also in Luke 7, the word is used of what the widow did at the death of her only son. She wept. That's Luke 7, 13. This word weeping is used for what Peter did after he denied Jesus three times. In Luke 22, 62, he went out and wept bitterly. The Gospel of John uses this word to describe what Mary Magdalene did when she sat outside the tomb of Jesus on Easter morning, before she knew. So this is a, this is a strong weeping. And Jesus, as he weeps, says, verse 42, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. Jesus has come to reconcile all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of the cross. And the masses don't see. They don't see this. They don't see this peace that Jesus has come 
to establish peace with God and peace between men secondarily by his death for us. And then as he weeps Jesus speaks He prophesies of the destruction of Jerusalem yet to come. Verse 43. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation from the Lord. So he pronounces this coming judgment, and most scholars agree, most New Testament scholars agree, Jesus is foretelling the fall of the city of Jerusalem which took place at the hands of the Roman army in 70 AD and it was horrible. Think of the horrible images of the destruction of war and that's the image that comes to my mind. Those are the images that come to my mind when I read of this. The, The ancient first century Jewish historian, so he's writing in the first century, wrote of the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. And here's what he wrote. Now, as soon as the army, the Roman army, had no more people to slay or to plunder because there remained none to be objects of their fury, for they would not have spared any had there remained any other such work to be done. Caesar gave orders that they should now demolish the entire city and the temple. With few exceptions, he writes, the the wall was so thoroughly laid even with the ground by those that dug it up to the foundation that there was left nothing to make those that came thither near it believe it had ever been inhabited flat this was the end which Jerusalem came to by the madness of the Roman army a city otherwise of great magnificence and of mighty fame among all mankind so it happened just as Jesus as he wept foretold it would. So now I want to push back. Well, that's our text. Do you see? Do you see? Do you behold your king? Or is he hidden? from your eyes. The Messiah's time 
Do, do you see his divine sovereignty and foreknowledge over his death such that he enters, he lets the secret out, he enters Jerusalem on Palm Sunday in order to be, to enrage the religious rulers at just the right time that the hour of his crucifixion would land right in the Passover as planned by himself and by God the Father that he would establish a new covenant in his blood that we'll celebrate at the Lord's table together. Do do you see that in his procession, do do you see his divine exaltation that God has anointed him king and, and it doesn't matter that the crowd is fickle. It doesn't matter that you and I are fickle. Jesus is king and he reigns over all and he will be exalted in all the earth and in all the universe because God has established his reign now and forever. And oh, that we would come to him gladly and enjoy his reign for us bought and delivered to us by his laying down his life for us. And do you see his tears? Do you see in his tears his divine mercy, his sorrow at the righteous judgment of God on sinners, on those who reject God and his reign If you see him now, he's not weeping for you. He's rejoicing for you. If you see him now by faith, your heart sings, Hosanna, the Lord is salvation. He is your king and he is your your Lord. And if you see him now, he is your peace and your sovereign savior. So if you see him now, we're about to celebrate the Lord's table. Partake of the elements by faith. You see his sovereign mercy. You see his reign. You've received him. Partake of the elements with great joy, remembering his death for us on the Passover. And if you don't see him, Here's what I'd say. Let the elements pass you by today and just know this. When Jesus came, he said, I've come to to give good news to the poor and sight to the blind. So if you can't see him, call on him. Ask him for sight. He'll give you sight. You can see him and be embraced into his grace and into his favor, into his reign and into his saving work and not be among those over whom he weeps. Let me pray and then we'll gather at the Lord's table. Father in heaven, thanks so much for your word. And we gather at the table because we see. I praise you for Christ's 
death for us. How he, how he arranged his own death, laying his life down for us of his own accord, according to your plan and purpose to save us at just the right time. And we praise you for his exaltation as Lord and Christ over all. And, and we rest in your divine mercy extended to us, the forgiveness of our sins now and forever. So meet us at the table, I pray, as we remember the Lord Jesus and his blood of the new covenant. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720 13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.